welcome to Small Steps Living, the The podcast. podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cordaff, bringing you inspiring stories to help you transform your life one small step at a time. Here at Small Steps Living, we're keeping it real. Kick back and And enjoy enjoy the show. show. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, guys. I, once again, am feeling a little bit excited. I tend to get excited about podcasts because I'm sitting down in my podcasting room, in my trackies, with a glass of water, and I have a very special guest on the other end of the line. Renee is a small stepper, and I, when I asked if there were any small steppers who wanted to share their stories, quite a few people put up their hands, and Renee shot through some answers to questions. And her story blew me away. I was trying to hold back tears. They were kind of sad tears, but then really happy, proud tears of the strength of a woman. And I think that that's what you're going to hear today. Um, Renee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And you're dialing in from over the ditch. Yes, I am. Whereabouts are you in New Zealand? Um, I live about 40 minutes south of Dunedin in a small rural town. Mm. It's a farming community, so yeah, quite nice and cosy and relaxed. And green. Yes, very green. Cold. Yes, very cold. <laughs> <laughs> so cosy is like code word for slippers and yeah. big jackets. Fire on. Oh, fire on. Oh, man. Beanies. Just- <gasps> yeah. Get out. It's like my dream. People honestly don't understand. <laughs> the weather's dropped to about 23 or 24 degrees. So everyone in Brisbane is wearing their long winter jackets. Yeah. Which is hilarious. And uh, and I'm just loving life. And they're like, oh, it's so cold. And the, the Melbourne girl in me is like, you ain't seen nothing. Stop complaining. And I'm just glad to walk around without a sweat mustache right now. Yeah. Anyway, anyway um, I should just move to New Zealand. Uh Let's talk about you. So can you just give us that little bit of background as to, you know, I mean, did you grow up in the same small town? Um, Where did you grow up? And was there anything, you know, unusual about about your upbringing or was it a pretty standard 80s, 90s childhood? Yeah, I had a pretty standard 80s, 90s childhood. I grew up in the city in Wellington. And I spent most of my childhood there and moved to a bit further north in Hawke's Bay to do my high schooling. And it was, yeah, pretty normal, just run-of-the-mill, middle-class family, your normal stuff that you take for lunch. And, yeah, it was all pretty, just a normal upbringing. And then and you got a babe, you've got a kid. Yes, I have an eight-year-old son. Yep. And so tell me a little bit about um, having him and raising him around, you know, with food and then and then tell us a little bit about something that happened last year. Um, my son is fantastic. He's very independent. He is an only child and now it's more than likely he'll stay an only child. Um, he's, I'm quite lucky with him that he'll just eat anything. So changing our lifestyle is no drama to him because he still gets all the normal treats that our other kid gets, just a little bit more healthy. Yeah. 
So um, last year I was 38 years old and I was diagnosed with bowel cancer, which was a huge shock because it was not something that was ever going to happen. You know, other people get sick, old people get sick, not a young, healthy person like me. It must have been. I mean, I actually don't know anyone, as I told you before we start kicked off the podcast, we have bowel cancer in both sides of our family, but this was to people much older than 38. How did you know or how did you find out you had had cancer? What were, you know, were you going to the doctor for something and then they're like, oh, hang on, let's test for this? Like, how do you, how do you even know? Um, I didn't know and when I was picked up my tumour was quite advanced. Um, I went to the doctor one day because I couldn't walk and I had extreme pain in my left side that just prevented me from being able to get up out of a chair, Um, it hurt to walk or anything. I left it for a few days as you do because I thought oh it's just something that's happened and um, so I went to my doctor and she sent me to the hospital for some tests because she thought there was something wrong, but she couldn't put her finger on what was wrong. And um, by that stage, I was thinking, oh, maybe something could be wrong. And the hospital that I went to um, discharged me with a viral infection. What? I know. Um, they said basically the symptoms I was showing, I was too young to have anything that was of major concern. So luckily we had private health insurance and I went back to my doctor and um, asked her to refer me for an ultrasound just to put myself at peace of mind that there was nothing wrong. Yeah. And she did that? Yeah. What the actual... So that would have been an undiagnosed late form, you know, like we're staring down the barrel of that not being treated and it going too far and that being it. Yeah. That's terrifying. It is. If I didn't take action when I did, um, the next thing that would have happened is I would have ended up in A&E in a very serious way because the tumour would have burst through my bowel or started causing um, a blockage very quickly. So what are the normal symptoms for bowel cancer? Is that level of pain and inability to walk and that sort of thing, is that what are the normal signs? What should people be kind of looking out for? No, it's I had no s- symptoms as per the bowel cancer, well, whatever you call them, like what they go off. Yep. For you going to your doctor. So the main things is change in bowel habits, um, blood, um, losing weight really fast, mm-hmm. and oh, there's a few other things. But yeah, I had none of the normal symptoms. Normal typical symptoms. Yeah. So you weren't presenting as a normal bowel cancer no, patient. Not at all. Okay, so it was only because of your digging that then an ultrasound showed up something nasty and what was that like how what was it like hearing your diagnosis I never heard a diagnosis as such um it was really weird because I went for an ultrasound and the lady that was doing it was really lovely and she 
was talking to me the whole way through and pointing things out on the screen and said, oh, I can't, at this stage, she couldn't distinguish between my bowel and my ovary because the tumour was making my bowel push against everything else. So I was like, oh, okay, that's all right. There's just something on my ovary. I can deal with that. You know, they'll just take that out and I'll be fine. Um, But, yeah, they sent me for further scanning and that's where they picked up the tumour. So then was it surgery? Yes, yep. I went I went from having symptoms to surgery in about six weeks. Whoa. Whoa. And so, so it was all it was all pretty fast. So and and still then were you kind of going, I'm a cancer patient, I have cancer, or you still weren't? No, I it was weird because everything was so fast, I never considered myself a cancer patient because no one really said to me oh you've got cancer yeah right it, it was all oh you've got a tumor you've got a blockage we'll get that looked at and then the next thing was they were ringing me up saying oh we've got space for you for surgery and it was all just taken care of and after my surgery they started talking about chemotherapy and stuff like that and it still never really sunk in for quite a while. Do you think that that was just your way of protecting yourself or you or you just feel like you go into some kind of shock or some sort of autopilot? I think you do um, because no one really sat down and spoke to me and said, look, you've got cancer. It was just one of those things that it wasn't talked about. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I just carried on life like normal, sort of. It's really quite extraordinary. Um, I mean, I've known people who who weren't prepared for their own deaths because they just actually didn't quite hear the diagnosis as it was given to them. Yeah, whether that, and I'm 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 fascinated by that. um, Even because. I think that there must be something in our human condition that seeks out that this is going to be fine kind of mode. And lucky for you, it has been. You're just, you're, are you at your one year surgiversary? Which is what you <laughs> called it when you were answering the questions. Yes, I'm, yeah, I will be on Tuesday. That's amazing. And so, are you cancer clear? I am at the moment. Yes, I'm. Yeah, I'm regarded as cancer-free at the moment, but I've got another four years until they'll say that I'm actually cancer-free. Okay, so once all of this did kind of start to sink in, no doubt you're probably giving Google a bit of a workout (laughs) Um, and, uh, and you were starting to kind of seek answers as to why a 38-year-old has a has a large cancerous tumor on her bowel. What sort of things did you start to uncover that you maybe didn't know before about cancer, about bowel cancer? Oh, there's there's lots. I tried as much as I did read a lot of stuff, I also tried not to. Yep. Um because I was at a stage where I had recovered from my surgery and was about to start chemotherapy, and there was so much conflicting information 
and I'd read something one day and be dead against having chemotherapy and stuff like that. And then the next day I'd read some other stuff which showed me the benefits. So while I was researching for my own benefit, I didn't read too much into a lot of stuff Yeah, until I had finished. And now I really research a lot of things. And so what have you found? Because what you said to me um, was that this has kind of become your your mission a bit. You don't want to get cancer again. You want to keep yourself cancer-free and do all the things. What sort of things does that involve? How does your life change after what you've been through? Um, I don't worry about things. I don't stress about much in life anymore there's the odd day that I think oh oh you know if I have one little tiny symptom or something like that I think you can go back to a really dark place really quickly Mm. Um, but I try not to stress myself with anything and I eat as best as I can Um, a lot of vegetables and a lot of fruits I severely cut back my red meat intake mm-hmm. and up to my fish intake mm-hmm. and I I'm quite known to read I'll read and I'll research something so much that then I'll introduce it into my diet so but I won't introduce it until I know that I've done enough research that it's going to be good for me yeah right so I mean needless to say it was definitely a line in the sand moment for you yeah yeah definitely was and I mean was it something that you would have been conscious of beforehand the power of food to I guess well to disrupt our health and and then also to heal no way there's no oh well I was a healthy eater but not in the way I am now. I was, we were eating fruit and veg and meat and all the good stuff, but there was a lot of additives we had no idea about Mm. that have changed. Yep. And, I mean, what's made you go down the path of reducing red meat consumption? It's one of the major factors that can lead to bowel cancer. Yep. So it was, yeah, it's my choice to to have it once a week instead of four nights a week. Yeah, right. And I, it's it's funny because my father-in-law um, died of bowel cancer when they found his, it had already spread and uh, he was Croatian and lots and lots of <laughs> cured meats like prosciutto and all of that yeah. sort of stuff, big time. And so we always used to have that stuff as well. And you know, Nick loves nothing more than an antipasto platter and the you know beautiful cured yeah. meats and hams and all that sort of stuff. It's kind of a bit of a, a tradition. But I just stopped doing those things after that and have yeah. had the same uh, ideas about red meat as well. Um, we don't eat a stack of red meat 
And but now I've just had um, our son; his iron is really low, so we've got him on a on a bit of a, a liquid supplement. I feel like you know you can learn one thing and do one thing, and then you kind of then have to be flexible in terms of how your particular body reacts and what your particular body needs. And I loved reading that um, about you is, and, you know, you just said it then you can do the research, you can find out the things and then you put the food in and think, well, how does this feel? What am I feeling yeah. right now? And you're, you said you had a big issue <laughs> of giving up cheese on the advice of your naturopath. <laughs> yes. Cheese. I know. I find it hard still. I've given up milk and I had no problem giving up milk, but I can't give up the cheese. This is the thing though, isn't it? Like we're also just humans trying our best. So even although you can be through what you went through, you can get professional advice. Sometimes we've got our little vices and we also need to um, be flexible within those, I guess, I don't want to call them restrictions, but it's more new choices. Yes, yeah. I'm the same with um, cured meats and stuff. I had no problem giving up uh, sausages and salami and things like that, but I can't give up bacon. Yeah, yeah. We still have bacon, but we have it in moderation. Like we just, we just, yeah, yeah we just don't have it all the time. Um, Or if we have it, it's just a little bit to add flavour to things. Unless it's on top of French toast with maple syrup and then, (laughs) you know, go and have the damn rasher of bacon with that. Um, um, There was just a question that I wanted to ask you on the back of that as well Um, and now it's totally slipped my mind. But what I'm interested in is the stress. So, you know, you sort of said you don't stress about things as much as you used to. Is that because you've got this sense that, well, life is precious and you don't want to spend that time stressing or is it about what stress does to our body and uh, and its impacts? What Talk to me a little bit about stress. Um, it's a bit of both. I sort of think that there's a lot more in the world now to not have to worry about things I don't yeah I don't stress about the little things like my son going to sleep I used to be a really bad mum and think oh god if he doesn't go to sleep soon he's not going to have enough sleep for school the next day and I think oh well why am I worrying about stuff like that Mm. and the other thing is I hardly ever watch the news yeah yeah it's just one of those things. I think, well, I don't need to know about all this stuff. That It doesn't worry me, but I know deep down it probably does. It's got that subconscious feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally hear you on that. And I think it's just important for us all to kind of be able to I think we kind of move into catastrophizing situations so quickly. Yes. In our daily life and and Nick and I have gotten very conscious of this recently. It's like, no, hang on a minute. Is this is this a is this like we're moving down this line of catastrophizing this situation when in fact 
who gives a shit? Yeah, like exactly. Wh- why are we Why are we stressing about this? And it, yeah, I I just think it's something we need to keep practicing because there's so much stress inducing information out there. There's and you know, even just the way that we live our life, having to be at certain places by the time a bell goes and you know, it's kind of built into daily life. Oh, it is. It is. And it's, yeah, it's the whole life is too short sort of thing because mm. I could be in a whole different place right now. Yep. Man, I'm glad you're still here, Renee, and kicking yeah. and sharing <laughs> your story. And can we just, before you offer your small step, can we talk about poo? Yeah, um, sure. Because when you wrote <laughs> you wanted- <laughs> You want people to get to know their poo. Can you? What do they need to know? Let's just let's just get it all out there. What do people need to know about poo? People need to know what is their normal, basically. Right. Because everyone has a different normal. But if you know what your normal is, you'll know when it changes. Yeah. Yep. And act on it. Yes. Yep. So yeah. don't just accept it as a new normal. Yeah. Because I know that that's absolutely um, what happened with my father-in-law. Stoic, man, it'll be yeah. right until it just really wasn't and, you know, probably could have, would have been picked up earlier probably if um, if just kind of just coping or just yeah. dealing with it yeah. hadn't been the status quo. Yeah, I was probably a bit like that. I, I, well, I don't know if anything had changed because I wasn't conscious of mm. anything being wrong with me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I just, now I say you've got to know what your normal is and don't be scared to go to your doctor because they've seen it all before. Yeah, doctors love talking about poo. They love yeah. it. Yeah, just as much as a new mum, seriously. Yeah. Um, okay, so to finish up today, I've just loved this conversation and I know it's not, you know, it's not a particularly sexy topi- topic to talk about, <laughs> but it's so important and it does also, it's just this beautiful, amazing reminder also when you think about, you know, what's coming out the other end of what we're what we're putting in is a it's a direct result of it. I yeah. just it, you know it is it is the top to tail story of our gut really it is yeah and the health of a of a well working system should kind of be one of our biggest priorities yeah you need to know what you're putting in and what's coming out because it's all related. Yes, and I think so much of my message is just go back to basics with food. Just, you know, that was where I started when I started to get really overwhelmed with all the different dietary theories and this in, this out. I was like, what? And then I just thought, right, well, for my family, I'm just going to choose the most whole ingredients as often as I can and make them the best quality I can afford and find. Yeah. And then, and it's only when you get to that stage, or it really is, I think, when you get to that stage and your mind starts to open up to that, that then you can 
go, well, hang on, why do I always feel this way when I'm eating this? I, I thought I was eating well, but this still, what's not agreeing with me? And it can be that one of those whole foods is still not a great food for you, but it's hard to find that when you're, well, it's hard to find that if you're constantly stressed and going at, you know, 100 miles an hour every single day. And it's hard to find it if you're, you know, I always give the example of chasing a chasing a Mars bar with a Diet Coke. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, to get to know your body and what works for it when it's being filled with crap. But when, yeah. you, when you go back to basics, it becomes about tweaking, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I've learned a lot about my body in the last probably six months. When I went through chemotherapy, my oncologist said, just eat whatever you want. Mm. because the treatment's so harsh on you sometimes you don't feel like eating and he so he's of the opinion that as long as you try and eat the best you can they don't mind if you eat a bit of crap because it makes you feel better yeah and after that when I finished is when I got stuck into my change of lifestyle and changed all my food and everything and um I just had to do it little by little and now I'm very conscious of the reactions my body has to certain things. Yeah, and it's a powerful position to be in, I find. it's, it's It is, yeah. Because it's so, um, I think so many of us are out of tune with our body and with the messages that it's trying to give us. Yes. And so, you know, to really be tapping into that, to be thinking about, what's working here? What's not? What do I need right now? And sometimes it might not even be anything to do with food. It might just be, man, I need to get out and go for a walk and get this system moving. Or I just need a bit of fresh air. Or you know what I need right now? I, I just need to call my mum or my best friend. And re- Because once we tap in and really think about what it is that we need, then we're fueling ourselves with stuff that matters Instead of just, you know, the superfluous stuff that most of us fill our lives with and it's all just kind of noise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So to finish up, let's just, if you had a small step for people to take in in their health journey, you know, I guess you've been a small stepper for a while, but you've also had a major life event. You know, what would you say to people? I would say to change the way you live, just do it one step at a time, one ingredient, one one meal, one day, one whatever, is to take it as slow as you can and you won't feel the overwhelm because most of the time people rush in and change their lifestyle and they do the whole thing all in one day. Yes. <laughs> Do the whole whole pantry clean out in a day and then you get stuck with all these ingredients you don't know how to use. Yep. So, yeah, I, I research everything that I introduce into my pantry and I just do it one ingredient at a time. I just love that. Yep. I totally agree with you. And then it also sticks. Because if you buy yeah. that one ingredient and you go, oh, I could make this with it. Oh, I've just added it to this. Oh, now I've got this. Then you know it's not going to be wasted and you've just yeah. you've just created some easy new habits. 
And it's just been really out of curiosity and experimenting instead of bashing our heads, you know, bashing ourselves over the head going, you need to change. This isn't good enough. Um, You know, like you're so unhealthy and overweight and, you know, you need to do the things and, you know, your kids can't eat this stuff. Anything that comes from that place is doomed to uh, fail. And it I think is. that natural curiosity, that experimentation, that giving yourself permission to have this take time, I think is so powerful. And it works longer term too. It's going to stick yeah. more than a radical change. Yeah. I think you're awesome. And I think that your story should, I, I think it's so uh, refreshing to just hear stories of people who have been through something like this, come out the other side, have a new, refreshing and positive perspective, but also not one that is so uh, um, extreme Yeah, that it's still achievable for all of us. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that's where most of us just want to get to. I just want to do the best things I can. I just want to eat the foods, do the movement, whatever it is, so that I can live as healthy a life as possible, knowing that a lot of it is not within our own hands. But as long as I feel like I'm doing my best, then we can kind of sleep at night and you know, give ourselves a little pat on the back. And I think you give a really balanced, beautiful perspective on how to achieve that. So thank you, thank Renee. You. Thank you. I love having you a part of the community and I can't wait to share this podcast episode. So I'm going to go right ahead and start editing this. Oh, yay. <laughs> Let's get it up soon and get this message out to the world. And I look forward to hearing how you're going to continue sharing this um, because I think it's something that people need to hear about. Oh, yes. I'm out there all the time talking about it. Good on you, Renee. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. See ya. For more inspiration, interviews and know-how, head to smallstepsliving.com. Small Steps Living, inspiring your best life, one small step at a time.